Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. So I want you to hold your finger at that scripture. Before we read, you're going to be holding it there for just a moment. I just wanted you to kind of find your way there. Um, and I was thinking about how I'm an Orlando native. How many Orlando natives in here? I'd just like to see a, a show of hands. God bless you. <laughs> God bless you. Yeah, there's only about three of us um, that were like the last of the Mohicans. How many remember that movie? Uh, we're the last of the Orlandoans. Um, so I grew up, you know, going to the coast growing up, uh, especially with my Aunt Jenny and my family, Uncle Mike and Aunt Diane. We always grew up just being by the water. I'm like a beach bum, so to speak. Going to the springs and going to the beach was really, really a normal you know, thing for us to go on Saturdays. And um, I generally visit the West Coast beaches because I think they have, they, they boast some of the most beautiful seashores, white sand. We're talking about Sanibel Island, Anna Maria Island, um, all of those beautiful beaches, Madeira Island. How many have ever been there and seen the beaches there? It's much different uh, than the East Coast beaches, which I still go to, New Smyrna here and there, but generally the West Coast, the white sandy beaches with the blue water, the waves aren't as big, the kids are safer in the surf, and you can actually see the sh so the sharks don't get very close to you. You know, you can actually see what's in the water, and so nothing can just creep up on, on you, and uh, you, know, you, can, you, know, you won't step on something that's kind of foreign and wonder what it is. So I love going there. Um, but there is a huge cost on living on the beach. And I can't help but drive down some of the strips and look at some of the prominent homes that are so beautiful and oftentimes wonder, what do these people do for a living? You ever wonder that yourself? Like how in the world do you pay that kind of mortgage literally on the beach and their backyard is not oak trees. You got a few palm trees and beautiful white sand and, and beaches. I love spending time there. I love looking around and just, uh, especially the West Coast have some of the most beautiful sunsets. Do you agree? You can go in any little restaurant on the beach there and just watch the sunset and such a beautiful experience. I love taking strolls down the beach and I love walking that water line just where the, the, the suds of the water just wash over the top of your toes and collect seashells and conks. And if you get tired of looking at all of its beauty out there, you can simply just close your eyes and listen to the surf come in and out. It's a beautiful, beautiful experience. And I thought about the cost of living there, which is really, really high, right, being on the beach. But there's also a different type of cost that comes with being in proximity to a beach like that. And that cost is tropical weather. Everybody say tropical weather. As an Orlando native, I, I have people, I deal with clients all the time that tell me they're from up north and they ask me about what the weather is like down here. They hear about all these storms and they ask me, are they as bad as everybody you know, makes them out to be? And I kind of feel really weird because when they talked about Hurricane Matthew and they talked about Irma, you guys are gonna think I'm really, really weird. I didn't board up any windows. I didn't go buy any water, probably because I'm a native. I've been here, I've survived Hurricane Andrew. How many remember and how many were here? during Hurricane Andrew. It would dwarf everything that we've experienced. That was back in 1992. I remember, you know, looking out of my window and there was down the road uh, driving. It didn't have wheels. It was a, um, um, a not a garage. What, what do we call them? Aluminum. It was a shed, literally driving down the road with nobody driving. It, it was just blowing down the road. And so that's, that's what kind of storms we survived. And um, there was a cost also with following Jesus. 
with being in proximity to Jesus. In spite of all of his beauty, all of his magnificence, all of his promises that he gives us in the word of God, there is a price to pay. Just like there's a price to pay for all of that beauty that we see these houses get to experience on the water. And I, th- I, th- I thought about this scripture. I'm gonna read two of them. And the reason I have you going to two is I wanna show you what synoptics are. I know there's a lot of new believers in here. How many know what synoptics are, the four synoptics? The synoptics are the four gospels. You got the Old Testament, which is Genesis, all the way to Malachi. And when you get to Malachi, just after that is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and John. They're called the four synoptics. And I love it because each story is pretty much the same, but from different perspectives. If you're in a room, my Aunt Jenny sits up here in the second row just about every single Sunday, and there's others who sit in the back row. There are different experiences you have based on the proximity of where you are. There are certain things that are set up in the front row and and Matt's picking on me when I'm preaching or Moses is trying to give me a hint. He's gonna have a different experience because of his proximity. Well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the same story but have different experiences because of their proximity when they were in the room. And so I wanna give you these two scriptures. I wanna read them and show you the, the differences in these scriptures and I wanna talk to you a little bit about it, amen? Mark chapter six, verse 45, and it says this. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat before him to the other side, to Bethsaida or Bethesda, while he sent the multitude away. When he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening had come, the boat was in the middle of the sea. I want you to take note that he sent them away. Everybody say, he sent them away. And he was alone, Jesus, on the land. And he saw them straining at Rowan. He saw them straining at rowing. For the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and he would have passed them by. And when he saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out and they saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Now, let me explain that just for a moment. That seems very displaced in that scripture because their hearts were hardened because of the loaves. That doesn't really make a whole lot of sense unless you reverse a few scriptures before I just read that because they had just left the land where Jesus commanded them to go into the sea, but they had just seen one of Jesus' major miracles, and that was feeding 5,000 people, not including women and children. So there could have been 15,000 people there with just five loaves and two fish. He was saying their hearts were hardened because of how much trouble they were experiencing. In other words, their faith, when they were in the middle of that lake or that sea, was being tested. When you would think that just after just a few verses earlier, their faith would have been built up because they'd just seen this magnificent miracle of 15,000 people being fed with just five loaves and two fish. So that's the reason for the seemingly displaced verse there. I wanna read John six, and after I read this, I know it's a little bit uh, laborious, but I want you to just bear with me for just a moment. John six fifteen twenty one, and then we'll have some fun. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force, and make him king. He departed again to the mountain by himself alone. See, it doesn't say he sent the disciples. You see, different proximity. Same, same type of context though. Now when evening had come, his disciples went down to the sea 
got into the boat and went over toward, the, toward Capernaum. And it was already dark and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. Then they had rowed about three or four miles. They saw Jesus walking on the water and drawing near the boat and they were afraid. But then he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat. Now watch what this context says. This text says, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. I wanna minister from the subject this morning, the reason for the wind. I want you to look at somebody next to you and say, the reason for the wind. Come on, look at them. Look at them with conviction. The reason for the wind. In other words, there's a reason. Jesus had a habit of sending people into the middle of difficult situations. Now, this wasn't the only time that Jesus sent his disciples away over the Sea of Galilee. And just to kind of give you an idea of how big it was, it wasn't really a sea, it's more like a lake. They called it the Sea of Galilee. It's still called Galilee to today. Uh, it's a historic site that people go to. They use mud to wash themselves and all these different things have mud baths. It's an amazing place. Um, it's about seven miles long, but there's still storms that erupt in the middle of them. But Jesus had a habit of commanding his disciples to get into the boat to go over to the other side of wherever it might be. But he also had a habit of staying on the shore and watching them go. Amen. Amen to that. I often wonder why Jesus would always have his disciples go without him. Have you ever wondered that? He would send them over to the other side. And I think it's because Jesus was the orchestrator of the storm. And there are things in our lives, in times and seasons in our lives where God will command us to do something and at that point, all hell breaks loose. Have, am I the only one who's ever wondered, why am I going through what I'm going through when I'm obeying the Lord? Why am I going through what I'm going through when I'm going to church every single Sunday? Why am I going through what I'm going through when I read the word of God? I pay my tithes. I'm an honorable person. Am I the only one who wonders why they go through difficult seasons even when we make the right decisions? and we obey the Lord. Come on, somebody say amen to that. I often wonder why he sent them because when I think about when I say yes to Jesus, you think automatically because we say yes to him, we get rescued from our difficulties. After all, that's why we chose to follow him because we got tired of doing things our own way. But have you ever felt like that things were easier when you were a non-believer than Isn't it funny how when you decide to do the right thing and follow the Lord, it seems like all hell breaks loose and trouble is everywhere. Amen? It's because God uses the storms of life to build your faith. And storms build faith. Comfort does not build faith. And so Jesus has this habit of when we say yes to him to do us a huge favor. And we don't really realize it's a favor, but he puts us right into the middle of hell where all hell is breaking loose. Trouble is everywhere. Can't pay my bills, yet I'm calling on the Lord. And it seems like God is absent. It seems as though he's on the shore praying, yet he sent me out and I obeyed. And there are several reasons why, and I'm gonna give you four reasons why Jesus does this. The first reason why is he does it to purify you. Everybody say purify you. He sends you in the middle of the storm to purify you. Now, it's amazing to me when Hurricane Irma and Matthew came through because just several months later, you wouldn't really realize that a storm had just blown through. 
it's almost as if when you visit the beaches, actually, they seem more clean than they were before the storm. But when you're in the middle of the storm and you're going through the hell and you're going through the pressures of life, everything seems to be falling apart. You can't see the other side. You can't see the beauty that's going to come out of it. But God has something in mind when we're going in the middle of the storm. And one of his ideas is to use the storm to purify you. You know what I thought about this morning when I woke up out of bed? I thought to myself, what did we do? Like I have these oak trees in my front yard and I I hate them because you you know, every three days, you, I know my uncle Mike wants to kill me for that. I'm going to replace the trees. But the reason why I hate him, so you see, he loves oak trees, but I don't love raking the oak trees. I love looking at the oak trees, but I hate the price you have to pay to have an oak tree. But I thought to myself, check this out, uncle Mike, what did people do before the invention of the chainsaw? What did people do during storms before FEMA came around? I thought to myself, Jesus is the modern day FEMA. And so what God does with mother, we call it mother nature, but it's really father nature. It's father God, right? What he would do is he would, he sends storms into the tropics because he knows that they need to be cleaned up. And there are times and seasons in your life when he knows that there are some purifying that needs to take place. And so he'll send the wind. And this is the reason for the wind. It's not to break you. It's to build you. The wind is sent to purify you. Have you ever gone to the beach just after a storm, weeks after the storm? It seems like the air smells cleaner. It seems like the trees seem fuller and greener. And it seems like the water is clearer and everything just seems better. It's because when God sends the wind in your life, he's there to purify you, to make you better and not bitter. Amen to that. Amen. And I want you to take note of this, and I, and I can't remember exactly what verse it's in, is I want you to take note that he sent the disciples to the other side. Now, I don't know if you know this, but God is omniscient. Does everybody know what omniscient means? Omniscient means he's all-knowing, meaning he knows everything. He knows what's going to happen if you make this decision. He knows what's going to happen if you marry her. He's gonna, he knows what happens if you're going to take this job. He knows what it's going to look like five years from now. He knows what's going to come about in every area of our life. He knows the end at the very beginning. He's all-knowing. So Jesus sent the disciples away knowing what would take place knowing that they would feel fear for their lives, knowing that things were about to get really, really hard. It doesn't surprise God when all hell breaks loose in your life. It doesn't surprise God when the winds of life are blowing against you and it feels like you're under so much pressure that you're about to break. Amen? He sent them to the other side. Everybody say, he sent them. He sent them to the other side knowing that they were about to go through something and experience something that would bring them to their wits end. But his idea was purification and sanctification, not for them to break. Amen? I I want to read this scripture to you. It won't be up on the screen. It's King David. He says this in Psalms 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Now, this is King David, and now when we hear of King David, we know that he was one of the greatest kings that ever lived in that time. What he was saying here, and I don't know if you know the mistakes that he made, but David, even though he was called the man, I mean, God said this about David. He's the man after my very own heart. This very king was the same king who murdered his best friend 
and slept with a woman outside of marriage and stole his best friend's wife and married her and had children with her. He had baby mama drama. Look straight ahead. It's okay. We've all had a little baby mama drama before. But what he was saying here is that I've learned from the troubles of life. I've learned from the winds of life. And God teaches you. He shows you how to obey him when things get tough. Nobody learns anything in comfort and ease and pleasure. You don't learn anything there. But you learn in the middle of winds. You learn in the middle of storms. You learn in the middle of trouble how to obey God. You learn to navigate the waters of life when the pressure gets hard and all hell comes against you. Amen? Number two, he does it to test your faith. He does it to test your faith. I want to read Mark 6, 47. We kind of already read it, but I want to break down these scriptures. Is that okay? It says, now when evening had come, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone, meaning Jesus, alone on the land. And then he saw them straining at rowing for the wind was against them. Everybody say they were straining. For the wind was against them and they saw him walking on the sea and they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and we're troubled. There are times in your life when God strategically sends you down a difficult path to put you under the just amount of pressure that you need in order to grow you and to test your faith. Amen? God is fully developed. He's not going to grow or learn anything. We grow and we learn. And the way that we grow and we learn is by put, being put in testing situations. Amen. Even when Jesus was here on the earth, he was tested. The Bible says he was tempted for 40 days and nights. That means he wanted to do things that weren't really healthy. Come on, y'all aren't saying anything. He was, he, was, he was holy, he was sinless, but yet he was tempted. That means he was drawn to do his, maybe his own will at times. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, I'll prove it. He said, Father, let this cup pass. That was a nice spiritual way of saying, I don't want to go through this. Have you ever been called to go through something that was God's perfect will that you didn't want to face? And it's at that time when you feel you're at your breaking point where God has, exact, has you exactly where he wants you. Now, I know I'm not in great shape, but I love, I like to lift weights. My good friend is in here this morning who we used to train as kids since I was probably 15 years old. Amazing guy. And, and one thing he taught me uh, growing up is that until you get to failure, until you can't do it anymore, you'll never be able to put more weight on or add more weight on your next exercise. By the next week rolls around, I could lift five, 10 pounds more because I had been tested to the point of breaking I had been tested to the point of where I couldn't do another rep. And God will send you in the middle of a storm and make you feel forsaken like he's not there. He will add as much pressure as needed because the strength of steel is tested based on the weight it can bear. And so God will bring you to the edge of life. He'll bring you to your breaking point, not to break you, but to grow you and to test your faith. Because the Bible says he sends tests in our life to grow us and to strengthen us. And what does that do? By the time the next storm comes along, we have a greater dimension of faith, right? And a greater trust in him, knowing that if he brought me through that, if he brought me through that divorce, he can bring me through this season of my life. If he brought me through sickness, certainly he can work out my job situation. If he brought me through heartache and pain and tragedy, the loss of a loved one, surely I'm not gonna lose my mind 
in this storm. So God will send you in the middle of tragic things, tough things, things that you cannot handle in order to test your faith, to build your most holy faith, the Bible says. He desires to build your faith so that you trust him with an unshakable, unmovable faith that doesn't flinch in any face of adversity. Amen? Amen. And, and, I, and, I, and I thought to myself, uh, here's, here's what I wrote down. We have to learn to trust him and have faith even when there's no evidence of God. You know, he's there even when he doesn't seem he's there. I heard, I heard, I heard it said a lot, especially from pastors and ministers. They say that the, the teacher is quiet the most when you're dur- when, during testing time. And even though it may not seem that God is with you in specific areas of your life, am I the only one who seems like, it seems like he's there in many areas, but then there's specific areas where he's playing possum? Am I the only one who, where I see God answering a whole lot of things, but then there's a specific areas where, Lord, I, do, I wish you would just give me a little blessing or give me a little bit of answered prayers in this specific area. When the prayers continue to remain unanswered, it's because he's testing your faith to see if you will stand the test of not only time, but will you trust me even when it doesn't look like I'm moving? Will you trust me when it seems like I'm never gonna move on your behalf? Are you going to trust me even when it seems like you've been praying for three years and I haven't been moving? Because the master, the Lord, will test your faith through his silence and seeming absence. Amen? And he does it to build your faith. And you have to learn to keep the faith. Everybody say, keep the faith. You got to keep the faith. Say, keep the faith. Keep the faith. If you lose your job, keep the faith. If you lost a child, keep the faith. If you can't pay your bills, keep the faith. If you're struggling in your marriage, keep the faith. Come on, say keep the faith. If you've got no money to pay your bills, keep the faith. If you don't see what God promised you yet and it hasn't fully come to pass, keep the faith. If you're still sick, keep the faith. If you can't see what's next in your life because the storm is everywhere and it's all foggy and it's all gray, you got to keep the faith. If you have to downsize, keep your faith. If you got a thumb to work, you got to keep the faith. It doesn't matter what's happening in your life. God will use these tests to grow your faith. Look at somebody and say, keep the faith. You have to keep the faith. Keep the faith. Life is full of winds and storms. And if you haven't been through one yet, You're no older than five, trust me, they will come. I was was at my um, barber's shop yesterday, Saturday. Was it Saturday? Saturday morning, I think it was. Or was it Friday? No, it was Friday. And uh, there was a young lady in there, highly anointed. Her her dad's a pastor. And um, I was blessed by just being around them. And uh, she's 15. And... um, you could see the glow and the glare in her eye. And she was just talking about the Lord. It was, it was igniting me. I was just, I was, she was, I, it was exciting. She was just encouraging me. And, um, and another lady, lady I, I said to her, I said, you, you gotta keep the faith. No matter what happens in your life, this will be tested, I told her. And another older lady standing by said, um, yeah, I don't ever see her changing. And I, and I, and, and I agree with that. Um, but I thought to myself, this dear girl has no clue, you know, because your faith will be tested. At some point in your life, God has a way of knowing exactly where to hit you, to grow you. He knows your soft spots. 
He knows your triggers. He knows what storms will awaken the old man or the old woman. Oh, come on. All of y'all looking all saved like I'm preaching to the choir. But God knows exactly the exact storm to send in order to grow you, in order to mature you, in order to get you to trust him more. And so my heart went out to this young girl. I prayed for her. She's amazing. And I do believe that she has an amazing destiny ahead of her. She's definitely anointed. But I thought to myself, your faith will be tested because mine has and yours has. And if you live long enough, you'll find yourself in the middle of a storm where you don't know where to turn or where to go. You can know the Bible front and back. You can quote it back and forth. And still, you will find yourself in the middle of a storm. Amen? But don't quit. Don't give up. Because every person goes through a storm. Do you know every leader will go through times of testing? Every leader, every president has, every spouse has. Just look straight ahead. Every spouse will go through it. Times and seasons of doubt where they want to leave that middle of the storm. Every person will go through it at some point or another. Point number three. Point number three. I love this. The storm will create or the wind will create desperation. It creates desperation. That's why it's there. This is the reason for the wind. Everybody say the reason for the wind. The reason for the wind is to purify you. Come on, do you remember? To purify you, to test your faith, and to create desperation. What does that mean? Let's read Mark 6, 48. It says it right here. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Watch this. And he would have passed them by. What does that mean? He would have passed them by. Look at, look at that. That disturbs me. He would have passed them by. Then why didn't he? And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost. But here's why he didn't pass them by. Watch this. And they cried out. He would have passed them by. Could it be that the Lord is allowing this wind in your life to develop a cry in your heart? Could it be that you're in the middle of this tight situation, whatever it is, wherever that unanswered prayer lies, whatever it is that keeps you up at night, whatever it is that causes you to you know, sprout an extra gray hair or two, come on, whatever that is, wherever God has you, whatever storm or whatever wind he's sending your way, could it be that he's sending it to create a desperate cry, not to call Shirley, not to call Jim, but to call out on him? Amen? In my mind, too many people run to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and cry out when they should be running to the Lord with their cry. And oftentimes, he will send, he will send the wind to develop a cry. When I, think about, when I think about this, I think about so many different men and women in the Bible that Jesus moved on their behalf. And, and what preceded him moving on their behalf was not um, even a prayer or it wasn't them just being a good person. What was always followed up with either a great miracle that Jesus did for a person was a cry. Even when he delivered the children of Israel, here's what he spoke to Moses. He said, the cry of my people have come before me. This was 400 years, Jesus was silent, and he heard the cry of his people, and that's when God moved. When I think about all these people throughout the Bible, there was a leper who met Jesus at the bottom of the mountain and he screams out. The Bible uses the word, he cried out and said, Lord, if you're willing, 
You can make me clean. And this is what Jesus says. I am willing. Be cleansed. Talking about a broken situation, this wasn't talking broken figuratively. This man was a leper. That means his ears probably were falling off. His fingertips were falling off. His life at the very core, physically, was falling apart. And his cry got caught the, Jesus' ear, and Jesus healed him as a result of his cry because desperate situations have a way of developing a deep cry in our heart. And that cry ultimately is to awaken the heart of God to move in our situation. Amen? And then when I think about this... Um, the Syrophoenician woman. The Bible says that Jesus even went, attempted, I know this is controversial. Jesus actually rejected her. He went to her, and she comes to him and says, Lord, help me for my, my, my daughter is possessed with an evil spirit. And you know what he calls her? He calls her a dog. He said, it's not meat to give the masters food to dogs. And by the way, forgive me, he's calling a woman a dog. He's calling a female a dog. I'll let you guys go home and research what a female dog is. He called her a dog and said, it's not meat to give the master's food to the dogs. And here's what she says. Yes, Lord. He, it says she, she cried out to him and said, yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs from underneath the master's table. And Jesus said, but your faith has made your daughter well. Go home. She goes home that very hour and her daughter was completely set free from that demon possession. Why? Because she developed a cry. She developed an earnest cry in her heart for the Lord to move on her behalf. And it moved the heart of God and persuaded him and provoked him to move in her situation. Amen. Let me give you one last one. Blind Bartimaeus. The Bible says that he cried out. He was blind and he found, how do you, how's a blind man find Jesus, by the way? Maybe because we walk by faith and not by sight. Blind Bartimaeus finds Jesus and what he begins to do is scream out. The Bible says he cried out and all the disciples told him to hush, tone it down, calm down. The Bible says, and I quote, he cried out all the more. And the more he cried, Jesus called him and said, bring him to me. And from that very hour, that man was able to see who was born blind, possibly. He was made well because he developed a cry. Amen. The storms of life are there to provoke a deep cry of desperation in our hearts. Amen? Not just for anything, but for more of him. Amen? Point number four, and I'm gonna close. We're gonna have an early service today. Everybody say, woohoo. Point number four. The wind is there to direct you. The wind is there to direct you. I was listening to a pastor who I've heard say many times, and, I, and he's very well respected, and I, and I actually love him, love a lot of good things, but you have to eat the meat and throw out the bones. And here's, here's what he said, that God is not in control of everything. And I can agree with that. The Bible states that the, the prince of this world is the devil, right? He's the ruler of this world. But I have found out that God is in much more control of our situations than we really think. He's much more in control. And, and here's why I say he's in control. Watch this in John chapter six. Read it with me. John chapter six, verse 18 through 21. It says, then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when he had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the water and drawing near the boat. And they were afraid. 
And he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Watch this. Then they willingly received him into the boat. Now watch this. This is staggering. And immediately, everybody say immediately. Immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Now I thought to myself, either Jesus just transported I mean, it says immediately. In other words, they're in the middle of the storm. Jesus steps on the boat and immediately they were where they needed to be. I thought to myself, did he not really mean that? I'm sitting here looking, staring at this scripture. What did he really mean? Did it mean like in a movie, like, you know, when someone is in the middle of the storm and the rudder breaks or that maybe the sail breaks and then the next morning you find them sleeping on the shore and they're all washed up? Like, is that what they meant? Or did he really mean that he stepped on the boat? Now, it says what it means and it means what it says. I really believe that Jesus meant what he said. As soon as he stepped on the boat, immediately they were where they needed to be. And in your situation, if you can just hold on a little bit longer, just a little bit longer, the Lord will come and step on your boat. And it's not going to, sometimes we think these storms are bringing us in an opposite way, right? We think that these storms are going to end up, make us end up in, in a place that God doesn't will us to be. But as a matter of fact, God is in much more control of that wind than we actually think. Those winds in your life are actually, they're designed to bring you to a destined end, an expected end. Those winds are there to direct you. Amen? And when you lean into the wind versus resist it, hear me, I want you to hear this. Everybody say lean in. Everybody lean in. When you lean into the wind, go ahead, lean on somebody. I've seen somebody lean on someone. Lean on me. When you lean into the wind instead of resisting the wind. See, this is how sailboats get to their destination. We try to run from the wind. We try to resist the wind. But even a sailboat knows you can't run from the wind. You have to use the wind as you, to your advantage. And so what Jesus is saying here, and now here's the whole revelation that I got from all of this. He was the wind. Jesus was the wind. And if you decide to keep him off of your boat, you will remain in a tumultuous situation. But when they, the Bible says, put it back up on the screen, would you? Um, John 6, 18 through 21. Immediately the boat was at the land where they were. But it says right before that, that they willingly received him in the boat. If you willingly receive him, Jesus was the wind. And when you receive him into the boat, into your sails, immediately you will end up where you're supposed to be. So instead of praying your situations away, instead of praying this hard thing away, how about we do this? How about we invite Jesus in and lean in to him so that he can bring us to exactly the exact spot that he's calling us to be? And we often think it's a waste of time. Like, why, Lord, why all this wasted time? I'm out here floating. I'm not fulfilling my destiny. I'm lost. I'm going through all these struggles. Why can't we go an easier route? I know a better way. Don't we always know a better way? Always. I know a better way, if I can be honest. In my own mind, in my own rationale, I think that, Lord, I would do things just a little bit different. 
But the most powerful thing is in this scripture, when it says immediately they were where they were supposed to be, that shows me that God is able to make up for lost time. What you think is lost time and pointless things that you're going through, that it's abstract and it's just happening because of circumstances, God is in much more control of your life, beloved. He is in control of this storm. He's in control of the wind. And when you decide to invite him in your boat, immediately you will end up exactly where you're supposed to be, right in the middle of God's will, right into the middle of his blessing because he has good plans for each and every one of us and wants to do amazing things. But he will often use a storm. He'll often use winds to get you there. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Father. Even though it's hard to be thankful sometimes in the middle of storms, in the middle of hardships, in the middle of pain, in the middle of marital problems, in the middle of financial loss, in the middle of delayed destiny, in the middle of not knowing what to do next with our lives, in the middle of all these things that life sometimes seems to throw at us. But Father, we're gonna choose to be grateful this morning. We're gonna choose to bless your name anyhow, and we're also, more importantly, going to say yes to the process. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.